All right. Well, we are in a series called Differences and Division. Um, I don't think it's any sort of secret that there are all sorts of differences and divisions in the world around us. And unfortunately, uh, the church herself is not immune to these sorts of differences and divisions. Uh, This is particularly true for those of us within this Anabaptist Mennonite tradition. Uh, We have our own rich history of division and splitting and, dare I say, splintering uh, over uh, differences along the way. And I think all of this raises the question of, like, does it have to be this way? (laughs) This is our history, this is our, our reality in this moment, but does this have to be the way that we move forward? I'll show my cards a bit. I don't think so. Um, and so for the next few weeks, uh, as we're in this series, uh, Darren started us out last week uh, looking um, kind of more broadly about like how do we as followers of Jesus interact with culture and deal with like the reality of not necessarily living in a Christian culture, right? Um, although some still want to cling to that idea. <laughs> uh, and now uh, this Sunday moving forward, we're going to be taking a turn and looking specifically within uh, about this idea with the uh, differences and division within the church community, looking at uh, um, situations in the New Testament of difference where um, division could have been a possibility, but perhaps there's another way forward. Um, we do this uh, recognizing that there is a major gathering happening with our denomination this next weekend, and uh, we just want to like acknowledge that that's part of why we're doing this, right? Um, uh, there's going to be a number of resolutions that will be voted on, and um, there's a difference of opinion on these resolutions, which means that some will be happy with the vote, uh, some will be unhappy with the vote, and we're going to be faced with what do we do in light of that. And so uh, we wanted to, to talk about differences and division uh, in light of that, but hey, uh, who else has come across difference in their daily life outside of these resolutions? Yeah, so it's helpful, right? Um, so we want to acknowledge that as well. So. Uh, As we turn now and talk to this light and easy topic of differences and division, uh, let's turn to, uh, or let's uh, pause for a word of prayer. Loving God, we are grateful for the gift of this day, and we're grateful for the gift of this community, and we're grateful for the gift of this chance to to be together, uh, both in person and on Zoom, and we're grateful for the gift of the scriptures We're grateful for the chance to open them up and to wrestle with them. God, as we do that now, we yield ourselves to your spirit. And we ask that your spirit lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the way of Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Scientists tell us that the universe is something like 13.7, 13.8 billion years old, give or take a few thousand years here or there. And about 100 years ago, a man by the name of Edwin Hubble came across a revolutionary sort of discovery about the nature of our universe. And this discovery that he came across was that our universe is not static, meaning that the universe that we find ourselves in is not like a box that we live in, but rather that this universe that we find ourselves in is dynamic. And the way that our universe is dynamic is that our universe is expanding, Meaning like we don't find ourselves in this box, but it's as if like the walls of this box have been blown open and the universe itself is continuing to expand, continuing to evolve, continuing to grow, continuing to change. 
This was discovered about 100 years ago, and over the last 100 years, scientists have continued to research this, continued to study this, continued to observe it, and they began to discover that unlike most things with age, the universe isn't actually slowing down, but it's getting faster as time goes on. Which means that the universe that we find ourselves in right now is different than it was, say, 2,000 years ago. The universe that we find ourselves in today is different than we, say, 1,000 years ago. The universe and its makeup, maybe I should say, that we find ourselves in today is different than it was 100 years ago. And we might even say that the universe that we find ourselves in today and the makeup of it is different today than it was even, like, maybe a year ago. And what this means is like we find ourselves in this ever-expanding, ever-evolving, ever-growing, ever-changing universe. But perhaps it doesn't take uh, a theoretical physicists studying the nature of the universe to recognize that. And I hope that's the case because while I did okay in my science classes, it was a bit of a, a Jesus-like miracle that I did that. So, but I think for most of us, if we like, are able to like, pay attention to our daily lives, like, we recognize that this is, this is the reality, not just within the universe, but within the world ourselves. Like, think about the world 50 years ago and how different it is today. Some of us aren't even 50 years old, and the fact that we were nothing and now we're something speaks to this miracle, right? <laughs> the world is changing. The world uh, today is different than it was 50 years ago. The world today is different than it was 20 years ago. The world today is different than it was 10 years ago. The world today is different than it was five years ago, three years ago, and even one year ago. I was reminded of the reality of how different the world is today than it was even just a year ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, when I was on Facebook. Uh, I had a, a memory pop up. Uh, you know how you get those from time to time on Facebook? And this was the end of April, and I had posted this a year ago in April. <laughs> I got my second COVID shot, and I posted this. Uh, and my goodness, how different this past year has been in light of that COVID shot, right? I don't know about you, but that felt like a real like source of liberation for me. It felt like a real... I don't know how to describe it other than... <sighs> right? Um, this past year was so incredibly different than the year prior to that. And that year was very, very different than the year prior to that when we knew nothing about COVID-19, right? This speaks to like the reality of how different our life is today versus like even just a year ago. But we can see this in all sorts of other areas of life too, right? Think about like technology and entertainment as a result of it. 20 years ago, my family had a giant desktop computer uh, that sat in our kitchen. And if we wanted to get on the internet, we had to first check and make sure that nobody else was on the phone, right? Because we had dial-up. And then you fired up the internet and you heard that awful noise of... And you might be hearing... For 30 seconds. Or maybe 30 minutes, depending on how many people across this world wide web were trying to access it, right? And then once you got on it, it may take forever to do anything. So that limited how much you could do, right? But nowadays, if I want to get on the internet, I pull out what is in comparison a supercomputer that's in my pocket, right? And I am always connected to the internet, which means that the government may or may not be listening to every single thing that I'm saying and storing it, depending on how deep, they, how deep you want to dive into those conspiracy theories, right? But think about how that's changed our entertainment as well, right? Uh, 20 years ago, we got something in the mail called a TV guide. If you wanted to watch something, you had to look through the TV guide and say, oh, that's at 7 o'clock on CBS, right? Which was probably Wheel of Fortune, I think. Um, and like, you had to clear out your schedule if you wanted to watch that, right? But nowadays, 
Most of my shows aren't even on network TV, right? They just release straight to Netflix. And if I want to watch them, I can watch them literally whenever I want, again, on that supercomputer in my pocket, right? 20 years has changed an awful lot with technology and entertainment. And maybe let's go down this rabbit trail. Think about how different politics is today versus 20 years ago, right? I got an email uh, a couple weeks ago from the repository that said, breaking news. I was like, oh, okay. So I looked at the, the headline and it said, Republicans and Democrats agree in unite, uh, united support of Ukraine. I thought, huh. This means that somebody somewhere thought it was breaking news enough that uh, the two sides of our government could agree to support uh, a smaller nation in, as they're getting beat up by a bigger nation whose leader may or may not be pretty unstable at this point. That was breaking enough news that somebody somewhere decided that that needed to be blown up into my inbox, right? And I thought, oh dear goodness, is this where we are in the world? <laughs> See, we're in an ever-evolving, ever-expanding, ever-growing, ever-changing universe and world, and as a result of it, our lives are ever-expanding, ever-changing, ever-evolving, ever growing uh, as well. I don't know about you, but I hate making decisions. <laughs> I've acknowledged before that uh, this is why I wear the same thing just about every day. Like, I hate making decisions. It stresses me out. It overwhelms me. And so, like, well, here's one decision that I don't have to make. I don't have to wonder what I'm going to wear tomorrow, right? And I, I would assume many of us are like this. And so, like, maybe as we're, we're thinking about, like, the world that we're in, we're asking these questions of, like, why do we have to make decisions? Why do we have to decide things? Why do we have to make decisions, especially if like, this is going to re result in differences among us, and these differences among us may lead to us dividing from one another? Why do we have to make decisions? Because of everything that we've just talked about, right? <laughs> the universe that we find ourselves in is ever-expanding, ever-evolving, ever-growing, ever-changing, and the world that we're in is doing the same thing, and as a result of it, our lives are too. And so as this newness is coming at us, we find ourselves having to ask questions of like, is this newness good? Is it bad? Is it neutral? Is this newness helpful in my life? Or is it harmful in my life? How much of this newness is good and how much of this newness is too much? And we recognize that the newness is changing and we recognize that our answer to these questions is also changing over time. Our universe, our world, our lives are ever-expanding, ever-evolving, ever-growing, ever-changing. And as a result of it, like, we have to make decisions along the way. Now, uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this gets far more complicated because we don't just get to simply like, make up our answers to these decisions, right? Uh, when we come to having to make these decisions, we, we make them in light of the witness of the life and the teachings of Jesus. We make these decisions in light of the witness of Scripture as a whole. And we make these decisions in light of the witness of the faith community that we have embedded ourselves in. Now, there's a, a fancy technical term for this process of, of decision-making and wrestling with all of these sorts of things. And that's the word interpretation. Now, again, just as a reminder, like we are interpreting things all throughout our day. Uh, we are in, there's, there's hardly a second that goes by that we aren't interpreting some level of data and like choosing how to respond to it. So when you walked in today, somebody might have done this to you. And in a moment, you had to decide, do I brace for impact or is this an act of kindness and I can return in kind because somebody's saying, hey, good morning to you, right? We're always interpreting data along the way. 
And I think uh, Jesus understood this. And I don't think that this shocks Jesus in any way that like, we're, we're receiving all sorts of new data, all sorts of new ideas, all sorts of new understandings, perspectives, ideas, products, and we have to make decisions along the way. And it seems as though somewhere along the way, Jesus set up his disciples for success to be able to process that. So in Matthew chapter 16, we come to a moment where um, uh, Jesus' like, fame and popularity and news of him is starting to spread. And he does a bit of like a, a state of the movement sort of check-in. And he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who, what are the rumors, what are the rumblings about who I am? And they list out like the who's who among like the, the Jewish tradition, right? Like these are good people for Jesus to be associated with. But then he like turns and he pivots and he says, okay, let's look past what people say, that, who people say that I am. Who do you as my followers say that I am? And Peter, who's often like a, a speak first, think second sort of person, somebody who takes his foot out of his mouth to speak in order to put it back in his mouth, right? Like that sort of perspective, stands up and like finally gets it. <laughs> says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the one that we've been hoping for, longing for, praying for. And Jesus says, well done, Peter, you get it. You will be the rock that I will build this whole thing upon and the gates of Hades, the gates of death itself will not prevail. And then what Jesus says next has really been blowing my mind for the last uh, couple weeks and has really been messing me up in a good way. So I'm going to bring you in on that, getting messed up. So in uh, Matthew 16, verse 19, uh, Jesus then says this to Peter and the disciples. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So maybe uh, your life situation was such that when you got your driver's license, your parents could toss you the keys to the car. Think back to that moment and all of like the rush of emotions that you had, right? There was part of you had this rush of like excitement of like, oh my goodness, I get to do this on my own. And part of you had a rush of terror and dread of like, oh my gosh, I get to do this on my own, right? Like there's a, a mix of like awe and wonder within this moment. And so Jesus says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, you bind in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, you loose in heaven. And in case we miss this binding and loosening component of it, Jesus says the exact same thing with a, just a little bit of a different spin uh, just a couple chapters later in Matthew 18. After Jesus has talked about uh, how we engage in conflict, how we engage in difference, how we engage in uh, somebody who slights us or does us wrong. After, dealing, after teaching us how to proceed through complicated relationships, Jesus ends by saying, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Now, there's an awful lot between these two passages that we could uh, talk through, but I want to focus in on the two words that are uh, common between uh, these two passages. And those are the words binding and loosing. Now, these aren't words that I use a whole lot in my daily life, so rather than just jumping into the biblical use of them, let's talk about like, these, this imagery throughout like, normal life. So I have a kayak, but I don't have a truck, sadly. But I have a roof rack. So that means if I want to move my kayak, I have to put it on top of my car, and I have to do something before I can drive with it, right? 
I have to bind it to the top of my car, meaning I put a rope on it and I tighten it to my car so that it's, it's tight, right? It, it's not going anywhere. I'm, I'm prohibiting it from flying off when I drive. So I drive to a body of water, and when I get there, I want to take it off, but I can't if it's bound to the top of my car. So I have to loosen it, right? I have to untighten it so that, I can, so that there's permission for me to take it and so when Jesus is using these words, binding and loosening, uh, to his uh, disciples, we have to recognize that Jesus himself is a good first century Jewish man talking to a group of good first century Jewish men. And when they hear this word binding and loosening, like this is starting to like, uh, bring to mind all sorts of images within their Jewish practice. Because within the Jewish practice, there were uh, what we call rabbis, like the spiritual leaders, the spiritual teachers. And they were the ones who were given this task of interpreting the scriptures. They would read through the scriptures, they would read through the law, but then they had to like make an interpretive decision about what that means. And along the way, they would either bind that law, meaning like they would um, prohibit something, or they would like double down that they would create a tighter interpretation of that law, or they would loosen that law. They would, they would give permission for something else. They would create some room to breathe in that, that they would be permissive in some sort of way. So a common example that gets used in this discussion of binding and loosing is uh, how, as it relates to the Sabbath. So in Exodus chapter 20, we read, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and you shall not do any work. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Six days you work, on the seventh day you don't work. But immediately we recognize like, a really important question. What does it mean to work? What does, Bob, somebody messed up with my slides too. What does it mean to work? Right? And so like, you can imagine like, rabbis sitting around talking about this. And, and the, the question of the day could have been like, well, what happens if my mule, my work animal, falls into the well? Does that constitute as work? Well, one rabbi who takes the perspective of binding could say, if your mule falls into the well on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, I'm sorry, you're out of luck. That is absolutely work. That is a work animal by definition. Anything you do with it is work. And by the way, I don't know if you've tried to pull like several hundred pounds out of a well. That is physically exerting. That is work. I am binding to this law that you cannot pull a mule out of a well. But if a rabbi were to take this question and were to take the approach of loosening it, they could say, of course you can get the mule out of the well. This is like an issue of life and death, both for the animal and perhaps for your family. Like this is how you get your livelihood. This is how you make food. This is how you earn money for your family. Of course you can get the mule out of your well. And we recognize that although we have scripture, although we have for, for the Jewish folk, like the law, all of this absolutely has to be interpreted there isn't necessarily like a, a plain reading of it because like to say that we're going to make a plain reading of it means that we've interpreted in some way that a plain reading is the best reading, right? All scripture has to be interpreted in some way. And one of the ways that we do that is through this process of binding, of, of, of forbidding and loosening of permitting. Now, uh, we see that Jesus engages in this all throughout his life and all throughout his ministry. Perhaps one of the best examples of this comes from our beloved Sermon on the Mount as Mennonites, right? In Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus engaging in this discourse of where he says something like, you have heard that it was said. Uh, so we'll take an example of like, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder. 
And what Jesus is doing here is, is this, like, again, deeply Jewish practice, the, the practice of the rabbis of saying that you have heard this. You have heard an interpretation of the law. The interpretation of the law is you shall not murder. But with all of these examples, Jesus follows it up by saying, but I say to you, which is his way of saying, but I give you my interpretation of it. And we recognize that the interpretation that Jesus says you've heard is an old interpretation, which means if Jesus is offering his interpretation, this is indeed a reinterpretation of the law, right? And so we see Jesus doing this all throughout Matthew chapter 5 about things like murder, about um, divorce, about um, uh, uh, retaliation and love for enemies and all of these sorts of things. And Jesus time and time again is saying, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder. But my interpretation, but I say to you, don't even hold anger in your heart. Don't even like let it breed within your heart. And with this, we recognize like Jesus isn't trying to be unfaithful to the past. But Jesus is like moving us forward into the future in a way of like faithfulness. Jesus is acknowledging that this has brought us to this point and yet something new needs to take place so that we can walk in faithfulness in this, in this reality of the kingdom of God moving forward. And sometimes that requires a reinterpretation. So when we get to Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 18, we, we recognize like the disciples have been walking with Jesus for a while now. They've heard Jesus' teaching of saying, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. They've seen how Jesus is binding to the law in some ways. They've seen how Jesus is loosening to the law in other ways, where Jesus is, is doubling down and like pushing us into deeper righteousness. But then we also see how Jesus is also creating space for difference. And as they have journeyed with him, Jesus gets to a point where he looks at him and says, all right, your learner's permit has expired today. You have passed. Here's the keys. Have at it. You get to do this yourself. I don't know what your reaction to this is, but if I had been there, I think I would have said, um, Jesus, um, this is a bad idea. <laughs> Why would you do this? Why would you give us the keys to the kingdom? Like, it took us a while to get to this point, and it took, oh, I don't know, God in flesh to come and show us how to actually live, right? Why would you do this? And it seems like in this moment, Jesus is like echoing what we see in the very, very beginning of, uh, of the very, very beginning of the scriptures, where we see God creating the world and God creating humanity, and then God inviting humanity to be co-creators with God's very self, to be part of this ever-expanding world, to, to, to continue to build, continue to expand this. And now with God's kingdom, God hands the keys over to us and invites us to continue to be co-creators in this. Now, we recognize, like, this is a pretty radical idea, right? Um, and uh, for some of us, like, we're feeling a, maybe a little bit of anxiety about it, right? Um, because for some of us, like, to, to move from an old interpretation to, to think about some sort of new interpretation feels like we're being unfaithful to the past. But I think passages like the Sermon on the Mount, passages like Matthew 16, math, passages like Matthew 18, seem to suggest to us that this doesn't have to be the case. Because reinterpreting scripture isn't being unfaithful to the past. It's being faithful to the present. Because we recognize that we live in an ever-evolving, ever-expanding, ever-growing, ever-changing universe, world, and life. 
And by the way, like this ever-evolving, ever-expanding, ever-growing, ever-changing life that we find ourselves in is part of the deal of following Jesus. At the very beginning of his ministry, he comes to a crowd and he uses this word, repent, <laughs> which comes from a Greek word, metanoia, which means, which is where we get our word metamorphosis. He's saying change, he's saying transform, he's saying walk with me, follow with me, change and become more and more like me over time. And of course, as we become more and more like Jesus over time, we're going to approach scripture with a whole new set of eyes than we did when we began. When when I was younger, I approached scripture asking very, very different questions than I am now. And that's not a bad thing. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus, this part of transformation, this part of being shaped more and more into the way of Jesus. And so to reinterpret isn't actually being unfaithful, but I think we could actually make the case that to not reinterpret, to not adapt, to not change, is actually to be unfaithful. Because the very first words of Jesus is change, transform, grow, become more and more like me. Um, Again, I get it. This can be like a bit anxiety producing for some of us. So let's, we've been teaching Pax belly breaths. So let's put your hand on your belly, take a deep breath in through your nose. Sometimes he, he goes, I don't want to do a belly breath. So like, that's fine if you don't want to. But let's let out some of the anxiety here. Um, but some of us are feeling this anxiety because of like a particular perspective of scripture that we've picked up along the way. Um, I I don't know where I picked it up along the way. It wasn't my parents, but somewhere along the way, like maybe you picked this up as well. And it's a perspective that says like, God said it, that settles it. (laughs) God said it in the past, that settles it. So why do we have to make decisions? Why do we have to interpret? Um, uh, And I think that this is a really like nice, comforting sort of perspective. And like, I... I like this, actually, right? It, it's, it's comforting. It's, I understand it. It's black and white. It feels cut and dry. But the only problem is this just isn't how the universe, it's just not how the world, it's just not how our lives work. And I might even suggest that this isn't even how the scriptures themselves work. A quick tangent that makes sense with the whole argument here. Uh, so one of the passages that comes uh, that can help uh, prop up this idea of God said it, that settles it, comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And here we read, all scripture is inspired by God. Other translations will say God breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. That is a robust definition and understanding of scripture, is it not? And this is often where like, we take this and we'll say, like, God said it, that settles it. Let's pause for a second and ask some helpful uh, questions about this. So when Paul says all scripture is inspired by God, what's he talking about? He's talking about the Hebrew Bible, which we call our Old Testament. So Paul is talking about not this. Paul is talking about this. <laughs> The, the Hebrew scriptures, like this would have been the, the, the law and the, 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 the text of his people. Like he would have known these inside and out. And so when he's talking about scripture being inspired by God, he's talking about this. But Second Timothy is in what we call the New Testament. 
this part of the Bible, which, by the way, when Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, didn't exist. (laughs) But rather, somewhere along the way, a group of people got together and said, hey, there's all of these writings that have been circulating. Like, we should, like, put these a part of the Old Testament, creating an Old Testament and a New Testament, creating a Christian Bible. And if we've, so that speaks to, like, one level of, like, dynamic possibility of the scriptures, right? Like we had one thing that was inspired by God and yet something else was added onto it and we still say that this was inspired by God. And by the way, if we read the New Testament, particularly Paul's writings, we recognize that much of what Paul is doing is talking about our Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and reinterpreting it in light of this magnanimous experience that he has had known as Jesus the Christ. So we recognize that like within our very Bible, is like this assumption that like there's reinterpretation along the way, that it's not like static, but it's dynamic. It's, it's living and active as other parts of scripture talk about. I'm not suggesting that like we add on to the Bible, by the way. I'm all in favor of a closed canon, but what I am saying is like, I, don't, I, I think a perspective like God said it, that settles, it just falls really short of like what scripture is inviting us to do, which is to wrestle which is to bind, which is to loose, which is to interpret and reinterpret. Uh, if you're still feeling any sort of anxiety about this, uh, let me offer a few quick examples here because these examples have actually become quite commonplace within the life of the church. Uh, a, a, a examples where like, a decision was made, a reinterpretation was made, and we moved forward in light of them. The first one uh, comes directly from the Bible, and this is Acts chapter 15. So uh, the, 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 the way of Jesus, the, the Jesus tradition, uh, was an entirely Jewish sort of origin. Um, Jesus was Jewish, and the, the original followers of Jesus were Jewish, and this wasn't seen as a new religion. It was seen as like a, a sect within Judaism. But the problem was, news of it began to spread, and like all of these non-Jewish people, which we call Gentiles, like 98% of the world, that, that is a ballpark, uh, statistic, don't look that up for me, uh, began to like want to flock into this way of Jesus. And so the, the, the early Jesus followers, the, the leaders within this movement, had a dilemma because they had their interpretations of scripture which said that if you want to become part of the people of God, you must take on the entire law, all 616 some odd commandments and laws. And for the males, they had to become circumcised and you had to eat a certain way and you had to live a certain way. But all of these Gentiles were like, but Jesus... <laughs> We don't have to do that, right? And so as Bob talked about a couple weeks ago, in Acts chapter 15, there's what's called the Council of Jerusalem, where all of the who's who within the early church got together, and they began to process this. And they came eventually to this conclusion where they would step away from hundreds of years of interpretation and say that you don't actually have to become Jewish to follow Jesus. We can't wrap our minds around how, like, heretical that that sort of move would have been like this was stepping away from hundreds and hundreds of years of interpretation of what the what their bible had said and by the way when they begin to write a letter to church uh, to another church explaining this decision this is how they summarized it it has seemed good to the holy spirit and to us that doesn't read with a whole lot of conviction does it (laughs) and yet they were willing to take what was an old interpretation And they were able to take this old understanding of what it meant to be part of the people of God and look to this new understanding of what it could potentially mean to be part of the people of God. And they recognize that this old interpretation, when it comes face to face with this new understanding, could potentially create quite a nightmare 
unless they were willing to adapt, unless they were willing to reinterpret in light of what they now knew. Let's fast forward into uh, slavery. Uh, if you, again, if you've read uh, the New Testament, you know that Paul says an awful lot of things about slavery, namely like slaves obey your masters. And he doesn't say one thing that I think we all wished he said, which was, don't do it. <laughs> and so like we, but then we like fast forward uh, several hundred years and we recognize that like there's this issue of slavery in the Americas. But when we step back into the biblical times, we recognize that slavery was like a very different sort of thing than what's happening in the Americas in the uh, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. We might even say 1900s and 2000s, right? And in Paul's time, when he's talking about slavery, he's talking about more like indentured servants. Like these are people that are brought into the family. Like for some, like slavery was better than being a freed person. This is not to say that slavery was a good thing. It's to say that slavery was very different in the ancient world than it was in modern times. So when we fast forward to the 1600s and this American project begins to take place and slaves are now seen as property, as possessions, as less than human, as subhumans, things that you could, things <laughs> that you could make decisions for. They were taking an old interpretation with a new understanding and it created quite a nightmare. And slavery existed not in spite of Christianity, but oftentimes in light of Christianity. Until someone along the way got courageous enough to say that that old interpretation does not fit with this new understanding and we have to reinterpret that. And to that we say, thanks be to God that they did. What about this one? Uh, women in leadership. Uh, again, Paul, picking on Paul today. Uh, Paul uh, in the New Testament says things about women like, I permit no women to, uh, to preach or teach within the con context of the church. Okay, what's happening here, right? <laughs> in the first century, uh, women didn't have access to education. Uh, women didn't know how to read, and women weren't trained in this art of like getting up in front of people and speaking convincingly to them. You take all of that and you're trying to build a new movement, why would you stick one up in front of a group of people and try and have them talk and lead and teach? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that's his, his understanding on it, right? But we fast forward to today. We recognize Women can get educated. <laughs> women can go to school. Women can go to college. Women can go to grad school. Women have doctorates. Women can be really, really well-educated and can speak in really convincing truths. And so we take this old interpretation with this new understanding of the reality of women, and it creates a nightmare unless we're willing to engage it. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you recognize like something like 85% of our preachers over the last few weeks were women. And I say to that, thanks be to God, because they spoke in such a beautiful way that like, made me understand the way of Jesus better and walk in the way of Jesus better. All right, let's acknowledge the elephant in the room. How about that? Uh, today we are facing uh, a new discussion and that uh, revolves around LGBTQ persons and their inclusion and their place within the church. Um, our scriptures uh, say all sorts of things about same-sex relationships. But we recognize that when they talk about same-sex relationships in the era of the Bible, they are saying something very different than what we're dealing with today. Same-sex relationships in the Bible were things about power and abuse. Um, it was about trying to uh, crave some sort of insatiable sexual desire. And today, 
those that are asking to be part of the church are not speaking to this sort of dynamic, but they're speaking towards some sort of committed monogamous relationship. And so we have an old interpretation and a new understanding. And we have to ask, what do we do with this? I think we wrestle. I think we bind. I think we loosen. I think we interpret. I think we reinterpret. And when I say we, I mean the, the, the greater big C church and I mean the little C church, the church that's represented here at First Mennonite. But I think the only thing that we can't do is say God said it, that settles it. I think we have to engage in some sort of conversation and wrestle with this together in light of our new understandings of what this means and, and continue to do so in light of, of Jesus, in light of scripture, in light of community, in light of the spirit among us. Reinterpreting scripture isn't being unfaithful to the past. It's being faithful to the present. It recognizes our universe, our world, our lives change. They evolve, they expand, they grow over time. And to not like acknowledge that, to not engage in light of this newness, I think is actually to be unfaithful to the way of Jesus. We don't get to make this up, though. We do all of this in light of the witness uh, of the teachings and life of Jesus. We do all of this decision-making in light of scripture as a whole. We do all of this in light of the community that we embed ourselves in. And we do this in light of the spirit of God, which promises to be with us in the midst of conflict and division and differences. And so as we engage in this conversation, we yield ourselves to God's spirit. And we ask that God's spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the way of Jesus. Amen.